and welcome to Let's Talk Care Experience, the podcast where we speak to inspiring people who shape health and social care. In each episode, we take a look at people's experiences of Ireland's health services to explore how improvements can be made. I'm your host, Tracy O'Carroll, and I head up the National Care Experience Programme. Today, I am joined by Carol Mullins, Patient Advice and Liaison Services Manager at Tala University Hospital, and Fran Kane, who is here to speak about her experiences using the Patient Advocacy Services. Patients' responses in each of the four national inpatient experience surveys tell us how important the provision of information and support services are. So Carol, can we start with you and could I ask you to briefly explain what your role in supporting patients involves? Hi Tracy. Sure. And thank you for inviting myself and Fran here today and giving us the opportunity to outline what we do here in Tally University Hospital through our PAL service, our patient engagement and partnering with our patients. I've worked in the health sector for the whole of my career and I've experience in the patient advice and liaison service, which I'll say PALS from now on, if that's OK, for over the last 20 years. As you said, I'm the PALS manager and I also lead out on our volunteer services here in the hospital, which came under the umbrella of PALS in 2019. I suppose the bread and butter of what we do in PALS is really the patient feedback, which is complaints and compliments. But we're much more than just that. We're very active engaging with our patients, with our community, partnering with our patients and with our community colleagues. So that's just a brief outline of, of what I do here at Tala. That's really interesting. So you're talking about the volunteer services. Can mm-hmm. we zone in on that a little bit? Kind yeah, of, if sure. someone wanted to volunteer or what kind of volunteer services would you have available? So I'm, I suppose I have to talk pre-COVID and post-COVID. So pre-COVID, we had a really robust volunteer services with in excess of 150 volunteers in areas such as our pastoral care, our volunteer coffee shop, our arts programme and our meet and greet programme. Volunteering started on the very first day when we moved out here to the hospital in June 1998. It was a throwback from the Adelaide where there used to be the tea bar ladies. But obviously over the years, the volunteer services has grown. Now, when COVID hit in March 2020, here we go into post-COVID. A lot of our volunteers who are patients here in the hospital, as well as volunteers, they were of a certain age, so they had to go home and cocoon. So the likes of our coffee shop closed, our pastoral care went. Then as we moved through COVID, I suppose in the beginning, it became very apparent when we to reduce the footfall into the hospital, patients needed to get their comfort measures but their relatives weren't allowed to visit them. We set up our patient care package service and that's where patients' relatives, loved ones, can drop off their toothbrushes, PJs, that kind of thing. And we ensured that they got safely to the patients. So that happened during COVID. And then as we start, I suppose, around last August, we start to invite our existing volunteers back on board to join our what was our meet and greet, now our meet, greet and guide service. So now they they come in, they help them check in in the kiosks, but they'll also accompany them to their outpatient area because we don't want somebody getting lost because we're still 
trying to keep the footfall as, as less as we can here in the hospital. So that was a new service really that came on board after COVID. And we hope to really expand on our services now over the next 12 months. We're looking at extend the meet, greet and guide down to the oncology services, down to the haematology services. And it'll be a little bit more than just bringing the person to where they're going. It would be maybe sitting, chatting with them in the area because Patients, when they have something on their mind, what we found when the coffee shop was open and it's not reopened just yet, they were much more open and and comfortable talking to people who weren't staff. And it's not because they don't feel they can talk to staff, but they feel, oh, you're too busy. Whereas when they're talking to a volunteer, they'll open up and they'll say, oh, didn't get great news today or I was a little bit worried about. So we're trying to expand that service into bespoke areas. So that's the plan down the road for the volunteers. That's phenomenal. And it's a whole community effort then. A whole community effort and they're supported. When they go into areas, they become part of the team. Now, they cannot do any tasks that the staff would do. It has to lend to the service, not be part of. But they become part of the team. Very much so. They get a robust training. They do some HSC land training, children first. They go through the Garda Vetting. They get training in the areas they go to. So it's a, it's it's very much a community driven. And, and these ladies will tell you, you know, this is our hospital. And gentlemen <laughs> will tell you this is our hospital. So, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. A, and if someone are, is listening to us today and would be interested in getting involved, is it the patient advocacy manager in their local hospital that they would get involved? Well, I can really only speak to, to Tally University Hospital. So they would certainly contact the PALS department in the first instance. There is an application form on our website. There's a whole section on volunteers and there's an application form that they can download there and send into the PALS department or or they can go through this South Dublin County Volunteer Centre. We do a lot of our advertisements through that so they can watch out on that. Some hospitals have very robust PAL services and some hospitals will have, oh, you're the physiotherapy manager, now you're the PALS manager as well. So it depends hospital to hospital where the volunteers sit. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Fran, thanks for your patience. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us about your experience, your story, just because a lot of people possibly have the similar one and how daunting it is to come into a hospital and how do you figure out of what kind of supports are available and how to manage it all? Um, well, when I started coming here, I was coming with my son. He turned 18, so he went from children's hospital to this service. And we didn't have a really good transition, so it was really daunting at the beginning. True Anya Lynch the director of nursing. She basically gave me a hand, gave me a guide and really asked, what do we need? What do we need for JJ? Because JJ has a lot of complex needs. So what does JJ need for the easy transition? Through that, she helped me, you know, she helped with bloods. You could make an appointment for him, say, you know, we had to go in his terms, not on the hospital's terms. So she hooked me up then with Debbie down in bloods. And then I, I can contact her and say, I need his bloods done. And she helped a lot that way, you know, she helped a lot. And, and then through the PCAC, I also found out what else was available. And the volunteers, like I would have used them pre-COVID, which is lovely to see when you're walking in the door, you know. Yeah, friendly face. Friendly face. It's very family kind of feel to the, yeah. to, to the people around it, even though it's such a big hospital. So mm. if, you, if, if somebody greets you or if, if you're walking around looking for somewhere, staff stop you and say are you all right are you lost are you do you need a hand and it's lovely it's lovely that you just you don't feel kind of out of place they just kind of 
we're all in it together. And I really felt that through COVID. I really felt that when I was up here. I felt as safe as I could be. Yeah. The staff from basically writing to pals and complaining and saying, you know, I need certain things for JJ that we actually... And complimenting. And complimenting. I like doing that. I've always do that if I have a good experience. So compliments are just as good and as valuable as complaints, yes. I feel. You know. And if there was a mum out there listening today who's about to transition, um, would you have any advice for her? And like, it could be any hospital in the country. Who should she go to or where should she start? Well, I can't speak for other hospitals, but I can speak for Tala University Hospital. And I can say it's not as daunting as as you think it is. There is great support there. Now there's a disability liaison nurse and I'm hooked in with her now because JJ needs to get certain things done and I need, I need that support. The amount of help I got from Tala Hospital with JJ just getting the, the, the COVID jabs was yeah. just unbelievable. And again, I got the phone call, what can we do for you? It's not like I can squeeze you in. It's like, what can we do for JJ to make things easier for JJ and things easier for you? One example would be you're only allowed to have one parent with you. But because JJ needs two of us, he needs the support of his mum and dad. Yeah. Two of us can go with him, you know, and things like that, that we needed to help. Yeah. So I would say the supports are there. They are just get in touch with the hospital. The supports are there and it's, it's not as daunting as it looks. Okay, know? okay. And if you were starting out, you should probably contact the patient advocacy service oh, yeah. in the, the pals, first place. Yeah, PALS isn't... To me, PALS, is, it's great. Yeah. I know it's great. You, you know, you, they have all the information for you. Yeah. They have all to help you transition. If you write a complaint or a compliment, you, hear, you get a reply back. You do exist. You are part of the team. So definitely PALS, I'd say. Uh, like one particular parent rang me and she was saying, I'm having such a problem with it. I said, well, get in touch with Carol. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she'd tell you which yeah. way to go. You know, I'm yeah. still fine on my feet. But, you know, get in touch with PALS. They'll help you. they point you in the right direction. Um, so, Carol, with nearly... 20 years experience in the PALS, I would imagine you were one of the first people in the country that kind of provided the supports. What would you advise any new PALS staff, or indeed any staff working in the healthcare environment and how they can be a partner to their patient or the person they're working with in, within the healthcare service? Anybody who is coming new to PALS, and I, I liked what Fran said there a moment ago, it's not about JJ fitting in with how the hospital does things, it's the hospital facilitating how JJ does things. Mm. And that's really important. And that's at the core of what we do in PALS. I know I said earlier, our bread and butter is patient feedback through complaints and compliments and that, but it's so much more than that. But anybody new coming to PALS, I would say to them, the first place be your authentic self. You've gravitated towards this role for a reason possibly because of what your beliefs and your values are. And I would say to be true to those beliefs and values and to put them into action for your patients and their families, because it's not all about the patient. It's about the extended family, whether it's a child, whether it's an adult, whether it's an elderly person. Advocates, we have to be non-judgmental and res respectful of people's needs, culture, experiences. I would say that communication skills will be essential to this role. You need to be calm, you need to be thoughtful and you need to be sensitive. 
I always say it's the small little things that make the difference. And Fran touched on JJ and his bloods there and the fact that he needs two parents, you know. Mm. So always just keep in mind, we don't have to build a new unit at the end of the avenue for it to be all fun and fanfare. It's the small things to patients that make the difference. And I'm sure you'd agree with me on that, Baron. And I suppose the best example I can give you of that, I was walking through the atrium there. Now it's going to pre-COVID again. And I noticed a family and there was one lady kind of set aside from the family. And I just went over to her and she was visibly upset. I asked her if she was okay. Could I get her a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a glass of water? And it turned out that they had a very young, it was her nephew who was in hospital and he was very seriously ill. So I thought no more of it. I went off about my day and I'd say about three months later, I got an email in from this lady saying that I really did not know the difference that that just those kind words made. It was her nephew, it was her sister's son. And while the parents and the immediate family were being well looked after, she was kind of hovering on the outside to see what she could do. And for somebody just to offer her something simple meant so much to her. So keep in mind as a new advocate, it's not you don't have to move mountains. It's the little things that's going to help people. I'd also um, advise any new advocates to take up on any education that's offered to them. And I want to talk in particular through the OTC, the Open Training College. There is the Patient Complaint Safety and Advocacy course. And if they get the opportunity, they really should avail of that. And what I'm hoping is that we formalise the advocacy services across the country. I mentioned earlier that if you go to a smaller hospital, it can be just pinned onto the end of somebody's role. But if we could formalise the advocacy services across the country, that no matter what hospital you go into, for example, how do I know if I want to volunteer? Who do I contact? you contact pals. So it's uniform. If you need to make a complaint, it's not different from this hospital to that hospital. Your expectations of what you can receive on foot of making that complaint. So I would like to see all advocacy service uniform. And I think the first step in that direction is this important piece training for new advocates. And is that training virtual or in person? Well, when I did it, sorry, Tracy. When I did it, it was face to face. Um, The The other girls in the office, when they did it, it was virtual because we were pre-COVID and then in the middle of COVID. (laughs) But I'm thinking post-COVID, they will go back to to face to face because I know that two of the girls have done it in the office and neither of them have had their graduation ceremony, but they'll be having having it together in October, even though they've done it at two separate times. Okay, okay. And what's the name of that again? It's patient, let me get this right. It's the Patient Complaint Safety Advocacy and it's through the Open Training College. Okay, perfect. Another thing I would suggest to new advocates is to consider a networking group amongst ourselves. We have two going at the moment and this is just where we share experiences. Sometimes we just feel the pain of each other and sometimes we discuss how did you do that and again let's not reinvent the wheel let's do it the same but I go back to I think the most important thing is for the person to be true to their authentic self and don't forget that the small things make a difference
Great. Thank you very much. And you just have two of which of two people in your network so far or two different oh, networks no, no. going on? Two, two <laughs> people in the department on the training. Oh. Gosh, no. We have um, hospitals from all over the country in, in the network from oh, down in Port Leash, yeah. Limerick, The Matter, Beaumont, ourselves. Yeah. And then we have a smaller kind of Dublin one. Okay. Where it's kind of like what used to be, you know, the, the tertiary hospitals, the five. Okay. Blanche, Tala. Okay. But so there's a, a wider one around the country and then a smaller one. And listen, when I say a networking group, this could be a few months ago, uh, the matter was looking at a breastfeeding policy. And I said, oh, Tala has peds. So pick up the phone. Do you, yeah, we have a breastfeeding policy. Share it. Not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. No, no, that's a fantastic idea to have a networking group. Fran, I, I didn't realise you're on the advisory committee as well. So, <laughs> what, and that's because you're a parent of a patient, is it? And you yes. were asked to... Yeah. Um, Anya Lynch asked me to, to come on board, advise on people that have children with disabilities. You know, JJ has a lot of disabilities, so I'm on that for, that for that, you know. So we meet every six, eight weeks, doesn't it? Six, eight, eight weeks, and we go through a list of things that, that we can help with in, in the hospital. I think you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice there, Fran. It's a lot more than that. For example, Fran spoke there about the transition from JJ going from the paediatric service to the adult service and the difficulties you experienced and you've brought to the table that you'd like this to be taken up as a project. Yes, yes. He had a very bad experience. We were just we just felt that we were left alone, isolated, didn't know who to talk to, who and again I was just writing to the director of nurse and I wasn't sure about pals. Yeah. So I just wrote to her about my experience. I said, I'm not complaining, I'm just telling you what it was like and I didn't think like I, I, I emailed her like at two o'clock in the morning I wasn't expecting to hear anything back and I just she said what can we do to help and really that was it that was the beginning of it what can we do to help how she could help us the next because we knew we'd always end up in A&E with JJ sometime or other just getting support just getting support what can I do to help you and then somebody tipped me on the shoulder and said what can I do for you we've offered me down in bloods and the nurses are down there singing and dancing just to distract JJ from getting the needle you know yeah. they don't have to do that but they do it because they're doing their best to make it easy for JJ so that JJ is not upset going he's waving saying see you next month it just helps bring it together and it, it just makes things easier it doesn't make it so daunting coming into the hospital because I know okay I don't know what to do where I am I'll ask I'll email Carol or I'll ask Onions okay yeah. yeah. So your contribution is huge to this advisory committee because it really supports the hospital, making sure they provide the best service for their the people that use their health and social care services. And it's not all so bad. I mean, a lot of parents, anyone listening to this, it's not so bad because the supports are there. You just have to find them. Yeah. That's it, really. You just have to find them. Every meeting, I'm still in awe of, of what goes on in the background in the hospitals. I mean, even just the art courses for the patients, for the staff, putting up signs for everybody to understand them. So JJ can't, can't read. He has ear problems and he's nonverbal, but he can see signs. And he knows there's a stop sign there because there's something there to, to tell him. So it's for everybody. It makes you feel, you know, it's OK. You know, it's, yeah. So. And they've art classes. They've art yeah, for the patients coming in. So our arts officer, especially over COVID, put together art packs to go around to our patients. So it can be anything from embroidery sewn to colouring to cutting. So there's these little art packs that we give around to our patients. 
that was during COVID, the packs yeah. came into to being. But we were looking at little, um, air balloons out there and I was explaining it before you came to Trudy that our patients worked with the arts department on, on doing those. So there's lots going on in the hospital. We There's music coming into therapy, the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the musical therapy, Petsis therapy. There's a lot of work going on and a lot of it comes through the PCAC, that's the Patient Community and Advisory Council. I touched earlier on the fact that the transition for, for JJ. So now we're looking at all of our paediatric patients. We have some paediatric patients who for example, they might be diabetic. That's a lifelong thing they'll be dealing with. So the transition from peds to adults and how we can make that as seamless as possible. Through Fran, raising this as an issue, the PCAC have decided to take that on as a project to actually look at our patients, partner with our patients, listen to what our patients have to say and what we can do to make that just a little bit easier because there is a difference between the paediatric hospital and the adult hospital. Yeah. You yeah. know, so and it's different care supports within the two. So it's fantastic yeah. to have that transition. It is like, you know, years ago, a doctor or, or, or a nurse would be just dealing with that, that appointment. So that 10 minute appointment, whatever he has to do to, to get through that appointment with JJ, he'll do it. But he wasn't thinking of the long term effects. And you have to think of, you know, if he doesn't treat that child the way they want to be treated with respect, the child's not going to come back, yes. you know. So it has to be, it has to be, everybody has to think it's a long term, not just a 10 minute appointment, it's a long term effect that it's going to have on this child. Well, I speak about JJ. The long term effect of it really, isn't it? Absolutely not right. It's kind of the vision and how we're all going to work together to yes. support yeah. kind of JJ or another child in a similar situation yes. or adult. Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll take photos of, like, they're fantastic, the air balloons, and we'll put them up on our website so people can see them. So it's amazing. Yeah. Karen, looking forward, and you have a magic wand, what additional supports and services would you like to see in the hospital's patient advocacy service? Okay, I did have a think about this, Tracy. And if we look at the the HICWA published, the National Standards for Adult Safeguarding and Guidance on a human rights-based approach, And if we listen to what Fran has to say here today and to the services that Tala University Hospital here are offering, we are saying that we're going to empower patients. We're going to allow our patients participate in their care. We're going to be transparent and we're going to be accountable. And I feel that with the work we do through PALS, with all the feedback that we get, and remember, our patients are telling us that their experience matters as much to them as clinical outcomes and safety. And that's coming through very clear that the experience means as much to them as the outcomes. I'm working with the HSC on the Roadmap for Patient Engagement, and that's one of the the common threads that's come through from the patients. So give me a magic wand, what would I do? At the moment, partnering with the patients, patient engagement is part of the PALS department. And I would see that it would stay firmly with the PALS department. I'd like to see us take that a step forward. We have our supports, our policies in place. We have our processes in place. But now the actual engagement piece, the actual on the ground listening to what the person is saying. Engaging with patients, it's, it's, it's multifaceted, it's complex. It can be described as both a process and a behaviour. 
And Fran spoke earlier about if you're looking confused in the hospital and somebody will come along and say, are you okay? Are you lost? Can I help you get to where you are? So we can put processes in place, but we also have to have the behaviours in place as well. You probably expected this answer. I would like to see, if I had a magic wand, one staff member dedicated to the actual on the ground brass tacks patient engagement. So if something comes across our door, yes, we'll take it as a complaint. Yes, we'll follow the complaints process, but that somebody is there. And if somebody, if that person is in the hospital, we can do something about it. We saw a trend in our complaints there a few months ago about deaf people having difficulties here in the hospital. I would have loved to have the person, the time, to actually go to that person and say, what can we do to help? We are helping, we have put things in process, we have liaised, we've, we've a pathway now for people who come into the hospital, but I would have liked that personal human touch on the spot to the patient to say, what can we do to help? And if you have that person who isn't dealing with the complaints, who isn't a complaints manager, but very much part of the department, I feel all the good work we're doing, we take it from all of the areas that it's coming and we pull it together. And that, to me, would be truly partnering with the patients. Is that very aspirational? No, um, we're very much hoping to go in that direction. And Fran has given you a round of applause. So as the person who uses the services, I think that would be extremely important. Fran, if I leave the last word to you, do you have any advice for everybody who's working across healthcare, no matter what your role is? You could be the person in the shop, the, you know, the porter, the dietitian, the physio, the doctor, the nurse. What would your advice be? My advice is because I've often walked in the door and I know that I look cranky and I look tired and I look sore and I'm trying to navigate through the hospital. My advice is just be kind. Just be kind and just, if you have a second, just ask them, Mr. Ant, you can do to help. I mean, I've often been in a situation where JJ decides to have a meltdown and just somebody just kind of walking past and giving me a wink and saying, yeah, all right. No, not to disturb him, you know, or, or me, but yeah, all right. Just just be kind. Just be aware that it's daunting coming in to a hospital and just to know, you know, that somebody's saying, are you OK? It just helps a lot. It just, it just means a lot. It really does, you know. Yeah. And Pals is just right in at the first door on your right when you, <laughs> when you walk in the hospital. Pals is there and Carol will always be there for you. Brilliant. That's great to know. And, um, you know, they're probably at the entrance of most hospitals or close to the entrance. So yeah, if there if there is a PALS, PALS office. So I suppose the main points I got today is that your behaviours are really important. It would be great to have one staff member dedicated to patient engagement and patient involvement. And Fran, what I'm hearing loudly and clearly is it's so important to listen to both the patients and the people supporting the patients because they have huge advice and support for the hospital or the healthcare or the social care uh, provider that they can bring within their practice and policy and, um, and that will help everybody as we move forward. So listen, all I can do is thank you both so much for uh, your time today. I really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to find out more about NCEP's work, please check us out at neuroexperience.ae. Don't forget to subscribe to Let's Talk Care Experience, where you listen to your podcasts so you can get the brand new episode as soon as they are available. If there's any topics that you would like us to discuss on the podcast, please email us at info at Otherwise, from our producer, Trudy Mason and Cormac Farrell and myself, Tracy O'Carroll, we look forward to the next time.